Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this newest episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Open Mic, of course, is now a podcast exclusive around here. And by the way, all the topics submitted on today's show come to us from our John Campia Patreon supporters. So a special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for being supporters and for supplying us with all these topics today. We do have a bunch to get through today. So I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday. This podcast is being recorded on November the 22nd. That is a Sunday. I'm going to get this one down and then I'm going to go like many of you and go watch some football today. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. We're going to start off today's open mic podcast with Ben Donnelly, who writes, one of the things I love about the Mandalorian is that it does a lot with very little. It uses simple story structure and light dialogue to tell engaging stories using action, musical cues, and just the right mix of physical and verbal acting. I love what they've done so far and cannot wait for more. I, I completely agree with you, Ben. I completely agree. You know, I've addressed this a bunch of times on our Mandalorian spoiler discussions, but it, it's worth repeating again because I think there's still a lot of people who don't get it. A lot of people go to The Mandalorian expecting a show like Game of Thrones, a show like Breaking Bad or what have you, where like there's the main story arc and every episode is about that main story arc. But Jon Favreau has always been very, very clear that The Mandalorian is not modeled after those types of shows. They're modeled after the old Westerns. And and especially the 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 kind of weekly episodic westerns that we used to get. It's the story of a lone gunfighter out in the untamed West Frontier, right? And in those things, there is an overarching story, yes, but really it's the heroes much Kung Fu was another great example of this as a show. But every episode was a part of the journey, and the journey itself was the story. That's something you've heard me say a lot lately, right? It's the journey is the story. So like when Mando in episode two of season two, you know, is on Tatooine, he figures out that one piece of the puzzle of the next place he needs to go, but there's an adventure to be had before getting to that place. So he meets the frog lady who has the information he needs. She needs him to do something for her. And there's an adventure to be had there. And then at the end of the episode, the adventure completes and he moves on to the next step of the overall story. That has been the structure of this entire season. Mando needs to get to the next step in his journey. He meets somebody who can provide him with information or ways to get to that next step. But first, Mando needs to do something for them. And then that becomes the adventure of the episode. The episode ends with him getting the next piece of the puzzle and moves on in the next step of the overall story. And they've been using that very simple story structure, but incredibly effectively. And I've been having a ball with it. And you're right. Listen, this is a, for a Star Wars property, this is a lower budget property. They do it very modestly. They do a lot of it, of course, uh, with the stagecraft technology. And they're doing just a great job with it, telling simple stories. But simple stories can be some of the most effective if done right. And I find Mandalorian to be one of those myself. Anyway, so I agree with you, Ben. Thanks a lot for that. Don, uh, uh, I always mispronounce Don's last name. Jerry Yasinot writes, Hey, John, Supernatural series finale just aired Thursday night, and I thought I was uh, it was as perfect as you can get. Did you get a chance to see it, and what are you going to miss most about the adventures of Sam and Dean? For me, it's the chemistry Jared and Jensen had as brothers. Yeah, you know, I talked about this a little bit in a companion video I did last night. So 
first of all, let's talk about the finale. It was it a perfect finale. No, it wasn't a perfect finale because the episode before it was actually a perfect finale. You know, the episode where the whole story, this whole storyline between Jack and Chuck and all that kind of stuff, that was actually a perfect finale. As a matter of fact, you know, Anne watched a little bit of that episode with me. And then when I told her a few days ago, oh, I got to watch, uh, the, I got to watch the next episode of Supernatural. It's going to be the series finale. And Anne looked at me confused. She goes, wasn't that the series finale? I'm like, no, but it totally felt like a series finale, didn't it? The way I kind of describe the actual series finale is it's more like an epilogue, right? Because in the previous episode, it really did feel like Supernatural came to its conclusion. And now they tagged on one more episode as a what happens after the happily ever after. You know, in in traditional fairy tale storytelling, it was the last episode that really finished off the story of Supernatural and the boys lived happily ever after. So then they did one more episode that was kind of like the sweet goodbye. And it's the epilogue. It's just saying, okay, so what happened ultimately after the big win, what ultimately happens with the Winchester boys? And it kind of gave us that little epilogue. And it was really nice. I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked watching it. My one little nitpick with it, as I take a sip of my soda here, my one little nitpick with it is that it would have been nice if they ended in such a way that it left a door open that if three years from now, Kripke and and uh, Ackles and Padalecki, they all decide, you know what? Somebody had this great idea for like a one-shot, you know, um, streaming miniseries, like a four-episode streaming miniseries or a one-shot movie, not necessarily theatrically, but a one-shot movie or, or something like that. It would have been nice if somehow they just didn't end it with a cliffhanger or with a big open door, but if they just left the possibility there that they could return to this world if they want. But I suppose this is indeed supernatural, so I suppose they could do whatever they wanted. But the thing I, I will miss about uh, miss about the show the most is just hanging out with the characters. You know, I love from Sam and Dean to the auxiliary characters, you know, obviously Bobby Crowley is one of my favorite television characters of all time. Castiel, uh, Chuck, Lucifer. I mean, just hanging out primarily with that core set of characters is something I'm going to probably be the thing that I miss the most on. All right, next up, Christian uh, Rubiano writes, Hey, John, appreciate all you do. Thank you so much, Christian. Like you and Anne, my wife uh, is my best friend. We play board games, watch movies, even cook together. My question is, are there any movies that you and your wife completely disagree on? My wife hates Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, while I think it's an absolute classic. Well, I mean, there are... I mean, obviously we're two different people. So, you know, she absolutely loved big Tom Hanks is big is her all time, all time favorite movie. I like big, but I, I can't watch it every month. Like, Anne can, and that, that big is life. What star Wars is to me, big is to Anne. but you know, I don't hate big. I like big. The one movie that I know of that we like night and day completely disagree about is my second favorite horror film of all time, The Descent. I love that movie. Like, 
so utterly and completely I love that movie. And Anne thinks it's terrible. Like just Anne thinks it's a just completely bad movie. So that is the one movie that she and I have that we absolutely completely disagree on. All right. Next up, Saberwolf writes, hey, John. MMA question here. I have always been a big fan of Brock Lesnar. uh, Brock Lesnar, dude is such a beast. I mean, as a heavyweight, he had to cut weight to make weight. To be that big and move that quick was always fun to watch. How good do you think he could have been if he started his career way earlier than he did? Oh, and mixed martial arts? Oh, unstoppable. Like, mixed martial arts is, is probably the sport that evolves faster than any other sport. Because what works really well just four years ago may not be effective at all today. And what is really effective today may not be all that effective three or four years from now. Brock Lesnar's, here's the thing about Lesnar. Lesnar was no joke. He legitimately won the UFC heavyweight title. And he beat champions to get it and former champions to get it. I mean, he ultimately, he got the belt by beating, you know, Randy, the natural couture. And then a lot of people in MMA say you don't really become champion until not only winning the championship, but at least defending it once. And Brock Lesnar defended the championship. I mean, he was a legit MMA uh, artist and it all comes from his wrestling to be that fast, that skillful, but he was not a great striker. I mean, at all. He was a very sloppy, labored striker. Now, don't get me wrong. He could strike. And the thing is, he was so powerful that when he would hit you, people went down. But he was not a great or talented striker. And the thing is, as as a, a couple of years moved on and he suddenly came across guys who were much more, better well-rounded than he was, like Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez was also you know, an NCAA wrestling champion, but he also had a much better, well-rounded game. Brock was bigger and stronger and more powerful than Kane, but Kane kind of had his way with Brock because the sport evolved, right? And that happens to everybody. That happens to everybody. That's why a lot of people ask me, hey, John, if uh, Bruce Lee was around today and he fought in UFC, how would he do? And I'd say he'd do terrible because Everybody, because Bruce Lee laid the foundation and people learned from Bruce Lee and he's part of what makes mixed martial arts so great. But the result of Bruce Lee's greatness is that people and fighters today have been completely evolved. It's a different thing. That's why like the fastest man alive in the 1950s would get completely smoked by the fastest man alive in the 1990s who would get completely smoked by the fastest man alive today. Things evolve. But if Brock had like foregone the WWE and went straight into UFC and mixed martial arts, he might've been one of the most dominant champions of all time. If he had done that earlier in his life, he could have been like, literally he could have reigned as, as UFC heavyweight champion for like eight years or something like that. That's just because of his speed, strength, power, and just where the sport was at the time right? Just where the sport was at the time. Uh, I think that's where he would have been and, and how good he would have been. Anyway, great question, Saberwolf. Okay, next up. Brandon uh, Hulspus writes, Hey, John, been a longtime fan of yours since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Brandon. Uh, question, have you heard any news about the Lizzie McGuire series on Disney Plus? I remember there being trouble, uh, but uh, didn't know anything else. Thank you and keep up the amazing work. Okay, so I was there 
in Anaheim at D23 when they announced the Lizzie McGuire, you know, revival. And then what happened was a little while later. Now, I'm not a Lizzie McGuire fan. I don't follow Lizzie McGuire news. Okay, so I, I'm my information might be a little bit outdated. But from what I remember, um, the showrunner left the show. Uh, Disney decided they weren't going to do it because it's a little bit too adult because, you know, Lizzie McGuire is now older. And then the star of the show, I can't remember the name of the actress who stars in Lizzie McGuire, but she got on social media kind of begging Disney to like put us on Hulu then or whatever. So that's the last I heard. The last I heard is that the Lizzie McGuire revival was dead. But I mean, I could be a little bit outdated on that information, but that's the last thing I heard. If you guys know any different, uh, please send me a comment or something like that, because I would love to hear. All right. Thanks for that, Brandon. All right. Next up, Alexander Kent writes, hey, John, thank you for another week of fun and laughs. Uh, my question is, do you think in the future of Disney Plus, we will see ads or commercials. My wife and I were discussing the value of Disney Plus, and we did not realize this because we use other services, Hulu, Peacock, etc. But Disney Plus doesn't show any thoughts. Well, yeah, they kind of follow the model of, you know, Netflix and the model of HBO. I mean, HBO will show some stuff, but it's all HBO related stuff. HBO promotes their own stuff. So that's kind of a different thing to me. But yeah, that's the model Disney Plus follows. Now, Peacock is an interesting one because Peacock, they have a ad-supported version of Peacock, but that's free, right? Like, you don't have to pay any subscription. Then they have different levels where you can have... See, that's a very... Despite the fact that I hate the name Peacock, that's a very interesting thing that Peacock does that makes them very unique amongst all the streaming services, that they have these multiple tiers of free... Uh, free or then paid with just a few ads, but a lot more content and then a totally ad free one. Hulu also has a, uh, a level where you can pay a little bit extra and get no ads. So that's a little bit different. I don't think Disney plus will ever show ads at most. I think what Disney plus may do is what HBO does where before, you know, a Disney plus piece of content begins playing, they may show a brief promo of something else on Disney plus, but I don't think you're ever going to see, you know, Hey, before this episode of the Mandalorian, here's a word from our sponsor, Clorox, Clorox bleach wipes. You know, I don't expect we'll ever see that. What is going to happen though, is you're going to see the price of Disney plus increase. But that's their model. Their model is going to be completely subscription-based. So no, I, I don't expect that we will ever see ads on Disney+. Plus. All right, next up, we've got uh, David Zuckerman who writes, Hey, John, is it just me or have you lost all faith in humanity? Without getting political, COVID continues to spread. The thing you love most, the movie-going experience, has been taken from you. And despite you doing the right thing, having less fun by social distancing, staying in, et cetera, et cetera, things just keep going in the wrong direction. To quote a friend, I, I, I hate everyone and everything. What do you think? I need a sermon from the Church of Campia. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Um, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. The last couple of years, uh, my basic faith in humanity has taken a bit of a beating. It really has. Uh, my basic baseline understanding and belief in the goodness and intelligence of human being, of human beings has taken a beating. I just sit back and watch people do continuously stupid things. And look, the COVID situation, I don't get political on my show. I don't talk politics. 
you may make the COVID situation political, but it's not. It's a pandemic. It's an illness that is killing tens of thousands into the hundreds of thousands of people. We're now getting 150 to 200,000 new cases per day. They just had over a million new cases in one week. In one week, a million new cases. And all of this was avoidable. All of this was avoidable. If people just did basic, intelligent things, listen to science, not witch doctors, listen to the world's leading experts on contagious diseases, but we refuse to. Too many of us decided to make it a political issue. And as a result, instead of managing the pandemic, we let it run rampant. And the real, a lot of the, no, the real victims are the people who are suffering from the illness, but then the auxiliary victims are people like you and me who have done the smart things. We haven't gathered in overcrowded situations. We have made sure to always wear our masks. We have done the smart things. And yet the world keeps getting worse because of all the, 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 you know, ass clowns who just refuse to listen to the world's foremost experts on things, on the basic things we need to do. And yeah, I'm not going to lie, David, that has hurt my belief in humanity a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, my friends. There is light at the end of the tunnel. So let's keep a little bit positive here, shall we? All right. SK Zhang writes, hi, John. I actually like the Wonder Woman approach. Let's it, uh, let's place It places, you just miswrote that, it places where people can watch it in cinema, watch it in a cinema, and a week or two later, everyone else gets it on PVOD. It's not the perfect plan, but during COVID, it'll just have to do. At least we're getting something for Christmas, and one more thing, include me in your Oscar speech, please. Yeah, well, I don't expect that my movie, which of course becomes available for streaming this Thursday, everybody, it's going to be in certain countries on Amazon that you can get it. And worldwide, it'll be available on Vimeo On Demand. You can get that anywhere in the world. And I'll make sure when we launch it on Thursday that you'll have all the links to it to either get it on Amazon in certain countries or in everywhere else in the world on Vimeo On Demand. Anyway, but I don't expect it to win any Oscars. Let's be clear about that. Okay. Um, No, it's not a best of both worlds. It's a terrible approach. Um, but it's approach that enforces their view right now. Look, we could still get Wonder Woman, especially with the, uh, a vaccine now on the way they could have pushed Wonder Woman to July or August of 2021. And then it could have come out in theaters when the pandemic was, the pandemic won't be gone. Let's be clear. When the vaccines start coming out, the pandemic won't just disappear, but it'll be on its heels. Like we will be managing the pandemic at that point. Theaters will be open. People will be able to go out again. It's, you know, we'll, we'll be getting back to a certain sense of normalcy by then. They could have done that, made a billion dollars in the box office, and then have it come out on video and on demand. And everybody's happy. Now, everybody loses. Everybody loses now. But I get it. Warner Brothers, just like we talked about Disney's, you know, transition to an all direct-to-consumer model, Warner Brothers is looking to do the same thing. And they believe that doing this will help them in that transition, not to mention Warner Brothers is getting the crap scared out of them right now because they see Disney Plus in just one year get 73 million subscribers, more than twice the amount of subscribers that HBO and HBO Max has. That scares the crap out of HBO and Warner Brothers. So you're going to see them taking some more drastic measures to try to uh, curve things a little bit more towards them. So, 
Yeah, it, it, it's not a great solution. It just, again, leads towards the death of movie theaters, which, hey, I, I've accepted that's where things are going, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. All right, Austin uh, Prusak writes, recently came by some great advice during these tough times. Embrace the ugly and just love. Oh, that's a nice thought, Austin. Uh, just wanting to throw some praise your way, good sir. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much, Austin. I appreciate that. It's always nice to get like, look at the sunny side of things, especially when things look so crappy, right? So thank you for that, Austin. I appreciate that. All right, next up, Dickens Benjamin writes, hey, John, History tells us once we have the vaccine and this pandemic is over, things will get back to normal. But I've heard you say that the movie industry and experience will forever change and that the magic will be dead. Not completely sure why you think that. Uh, even if some go bankrupt, we will still have cinemas, just like how we will still have restaurants and music par amusement parks, etc. Well, see, here's the thing, Dickens. I've used the analogy of records, right? The era. There was a huge, long era where the vinyl record and the record player was the de facto standard. That's how you listen to music at home, was the record player. I mean, other than the radio. But when you to buy music, the way you bought music was a record player, most predominantly. There were entire stores. Back in the day, there were stores, record stores. Remember those? There used to be record stores that people would go to every week and, you know, pick out the latest cuts that have come out and all that kind of stuff. That era is gone. That era is gone. Long gone. Now, record players and records still exist. Some music still gets put to vinyl. It's a niche, but it's still there. But that era is gone. With movie theaters, what a lot of people fail to understand and don't take into consideration is that movie theaters, and I talked about this on the uh, companion video the other day, movie theaters operate on a razor-thin margin. Razor-thin margin. Like in the best of times, they're making a little bit of profit in the best of times. But there's not much room for error there. A slight downturn here, a little negative thing there, an underperforming movie here, and suddenly what was a profitable month for a theater instantly becomes a loss month for a theater. You cannot, out of nowhere, take away 30-40% of the audience and expect the movie theaters to just keep going. Will there still be movie theaters out there? Yes, just like there are still records and still vinyl and record players out there, they'll still be there. But the era of the movie theater is gone. It's gone. You know, big major chains won't be able to, and I'm not saying this is going to happen in the next six months, but what ultimately is going to happen as everything moves to streaming, the big movie theater chains are not going to have the audience coming or the product available to maintain those already razor thin margins. So you will get the odd community movie theater that'll be playing. Hey, we're going to show princess bride on the big screen. Great. And I'm going to go to those, but you know, that, that era, like the record player era, that era of being able to every week go to one or two brand new movies with hundreds of other film fans watching it the way movies were meant to be watched in the best possible environment for watching them, laughing and crying and being excited with hundreds of other people, that era is over. I mean, not exactly right now, this very moment, but in the coming year or two or three years, that era is going to be over. 
I hope I'm wrong. I hope something miraculous happens to turn things around. But uh, yeah, there will always be movie theaters to play to a niche audience, small movie theaters, low staff movie theaters, not the most updated and technologically advanced movie theaters that will be there to show certain things. But yeah, that that era that we've had, that paradigm that we've had, um, that magic of being in a movie theater with hundreds of other people, like who will ever forget? Again, I keep going to this as an example because it's a big example of it. But being in that movie theater when Mjolnir flies into Captain America's hands, oh God, I would have hated it if the first time I saw that I was alone in my stupid house and not in a movie theater with hundreds of other people cheering and roaring. And, you know, that magic, which can't be replicated at home, that that movies can still be great. Don't get me wrong. Movies are still going to be great and they're still going to be wonderful to watch. But that magic is something that we're about to lose. And uh, and I lament that. I lament that. I do. All right. Next up, Sebastian uh, Trujillo writes, over or under 30%, uh, all three, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark survive and are back in almost normal business by Christmas season 2021. It's not just under 30. I, I'll, I'll take under 10. Under 10% that happens for all the reasons I just talked about. It's going to be under 10%. Still possible. Still possible. And I and I hope that's what happens. Nobody on this planet will be happier about that than me if that happens. But uh, I, I just think it's very, very unlikely. So I'm going to have to take the under... 30% on that. All right. Brent Gilson writes, has there been any update on the new planes, trains, and automobiles movie with Will Smith and Kevin Hart? It's almost Thanksgiving, which means it's time to rewatch that classic film. None that I've heard of. Obviously the pandemic has thrown a wrench in a lot of things. Um, you know, Aaron Cummings, who's on my show on Thursdays, she is going to be in the new Will Smith film, uh, King Richard who Will Smith plays uh, the father of the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus Williams. And the movie's about him and Aaron's in that movie. And that movie was supposed to start shooting. She was supposed to, well, the movie had already started shooting just barely, but Aaron was supposed to start her shooting like a few days before the lockdown happened or just a few days after the lockdown happened, I should say. So, and it's been like eight months since that. And she still hasn't gone in to shoot her scenes for that movie yet. So even though we've heard about things like Batman, Avatar, things like that, the production up and going in, things are very, very slow and log jammed right now. Scheduling is going to be a nightmare. So for all I know, they've already started shooting this planes, trains, and automobiles, but I don't think so because I think Will Smith is more focused on King Richard right now and getting that done. Um, but it's not a bad sign that we have. I think a lot of things have been delayed. So I can't remember hearing any new updates about that one, but we will definitely keep our eyes open for it. All right. Next up is Kyle Garrett, who writes, my girlfriend is a singer and she heard you singing the I have a, I have a stiffy uh, heard you singing. I have a stiffy lyric and I wanted to let you know uh, you have an excellent singing voice. However, she recommended the song be syncopated. I can't remember what that means. Have you ever been in a choir? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to sing in choirs. Uh, I sang in a choir in high school. Uh, I also sang in a choir uh, at church. So yeah, I've, I've sung in choirs and I've sung in bands and things. I'm not a great singer. Let's, let's not, uh, I'm not, I'm okay. I'm an okay singer, but I am no great singer. Let's be clear about that. I used to be the lead singer of a couple of bands just because even though I wasn't a great singer, I was the best one we had. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'd be that, but I do. And I love to sing. Like even here in my studio, like I've got my guitar over here. I'll pick up my guitar at least maybe twice a week and just sit down and just play my guitar and sing a bit and stuff like that. But I am no great singer, but thank your girlfriend for me, Kyle. I appreciate that very much. All right. Next up is Kinsley Major who writes, Hey, John, I'm very excited to finally see the documentary. Thank you so much. How soon would you be looking for your next project? I personally have enjoyed everything you've done so far, anniversary included. Oh, man, thank you. Somebody who watched the anniversary. Thank you so much for that, Kinsley. For those of you who don't know, the anniversary was uh, the very first thing I ever tried shooting with no experience, had no idea what I was doing, um, and I just got some money together and made a little rom-com based based on some real life experiences. Like the movie wasn't based on me, but it was based on some, some real life experiences I had. And by Hollywood standards, it's a total absolute piece of garbage, but I'm very proud of that movie. I'm very, very proud. It was the very first thing I ever did. Um, and uh, Hey, yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, my documentary uh, movie trailers, love story comes out this Thursday. Um, again, it's not going to win the Oscars, but I, I think if you're a film fan, I I'm hoping at least you'll find it really interesting. I know I found it very interesting making it and I hope you guys will too. And I hope you'll check it out, uh, when you do, um, I already have my next project planned. No, sorry. My next project is already in the planning stages. Um, I've already got somebody that I'm working with on the project. I'm not going to say who it is yet. Uh, it, not, not some big Hollywood person. I don't, don't, so don't not delusions of grandeur. I just, I just have somebody I know in the business that has a similar passion of mine to this particular thing we're going to try to do. And, um, I'm hoping all things going well, that maybe in March or April, we're going to start shooting this next little project of ours. It's not some feature film. It's just a little project we're doing. And, uh, I'm excited about it, but I've got a number of things to focus on first, getting this movie, movie trailers, love story launched, uh, getting as many people to check it out, I hope, because ultimately my hope is people renting and watching movie trailers, a love story and getting other people to to go check it out and rent it is going to be what finances the next project. That's the hope at any rate. So I've got to get this one released. Uh, we're coming up to the new year. It's the holidays. Ann and I just bought a house, first house we've ever bought. Uh, so I'm very excited about, so we're going to be moving in January as well. Uh, so we got a lot of things to get through, but we're hoping March, April, or May, March, April, or May is when we'll start, uh, maybe actually, you know, rolling cameras and, and starting to shoot this next project. So that's the hope. But anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for the support on that, Kinsley. I really appreciate it. All right. Next up, Craig Wooten writes, Hey, John. I know how you feel about the Golden Globes in terms of prestige and show, um, but uh, do you like any of the other precursor Oscar award shows, the BAFTAs, the PGAs, etc.? I have found myself enjoying the SAG Awards and the Independent Spirit Awards as my favorite two of the past couple of years, especially since narratives around who the frontrunners are in the categories have usually hardened by the time the Oscars are presented. Yeah, so for those of you who have listened to me for any period of time, you know I think the Golden Globes are an absolute joke. They're an absolute farce. Now, that said, they also put on the best show. I mean, look, there's no getting around it. The Golden Globes put on an awesome show. Uh, I, every, I Most years, I don't even watch the Golden Globes, but every once in a while, I will just because they do a really good job of the show. It's They put on an entertaining show. They really do. 
and it probably better than any of the other award shows, but their awards are utterly meaningless. And the reason their awards are meaningless is because, for example, take the Academy Awards, all right? The Oscars. The Academy is made up of 7,000 plus film industry professionals who everything from ranging in the disciplines of cinematography, writing, executives, directors, actors, sound professionals, publicists, on and on. 7,000 plus filmmaking professionals who, with a very wide body to vote from, uh, vote on you know their favorites and in what they believe is the best of the year and all that kind of stuff. The Golden Globes is a body of about 60 people who, and it's weird how this is, but this is who makes up the, the Golden Globes. It's a body made up called the Hollywood Foreign Press, the Hollywood Foreign Press. And they're a very small organization made up, I said, of about 60 people who just happen to be movie reporters who live in the United States but the publications they write for are outside of the United States. Do you follow me? The members of the Hollywood Foreign Press are basically film journalists who work in the United States, but their publications or outlets are publications and outlets that are outside of the United States. That's what the Hollywood Foreign Press is. It's an inconsequential, insignificant little group with, look, good on them for having their little organization. That's fine. That's wonderful. Good on you for having your little organization. But it's really inconsequential. I believe things like the BAFTAs, the PGAs, the SAG Awards, they are infinitely more important because the BAFTAs is basically the academy, the UK academy made up of film professionals. The PGA is the Producers Guild of America. These are producers. These are filmmaking professionals. The DGAs, the Director Guilds of America, these are the actual directors who make films that vote on this stuff. The SAG Awards, the Screen Actors Guild, these are the actors who act in all these movies doing their awards. These are all more legitimate awards than the Golden Globes by a mile. So, yes, I actually do have a great deal of interest in those other award shows that are done by industry professionals. So, yes, I I do quite like those ones, too. All right. Next one up. Uh, James uh, Hudson writes, hi, John, you believe Downey isn't finished. uh, Robert Downey Jr. isn't finished with the MCU. I tend to agree. As much as I like Iron Man slash Stark, I hope we are both wrong. So I'm curious if you think he should return. Despite Doolittle, he has proven to be good in the past. Although I am hoping for Sherlock 3. Interesting to see if Dexter Fletcher is still directing. His Eddie the Eagle and Rocket Man were really good. Oh yeah, now look. I've said since Endgame, well even before Endgame, like a lot of people speculated that Tony was going to die in Iron Man 3, and then they speculated he was going to die in Infinity War, and then they speculated he was going to die in Endgame, and sure enough, he did finally die in Endgame. But I, ever since Endgame happened, even before then, when people were just speculating about when and if Tony Stark was going to die, I've always said, he'll be back. I compl- Look, it may not be this year or next year, maybe not even in three years, but Robert Downey Jr. will be back in an MCU movie. I just completely believe it. Now, is Robert Downey Jr. has had struggles outside of the MCU since starting as Iron Man. 
You know, he did that one movie that he actually produced with his wife called The Judge. He did it with Robert Duvall. It's actually not a bad little movie, but it completely flopped. Completely flopped. And then obviously recently he did Doolittle, right? Garbage movie, completely flopped. And this is the first time I've ever said this about Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. was bad in it. Like even when Robert Downey Jr. has been in poor movies, he's always good. Like he's always good. This was the first time I ever watched a movie and said, you know, it's not just that the movie was bad. Robert Downey Jr. was bad. But I've liked him in Sherlock Holmes. I do like him in Sherlock. And I hope we see another Sherlock Holmes movie, although I really wanted Guy Ritchie to direct it. But I'm, I'm cool with, you know, Eddie the Eagle was great. I love Eddie the Eagle. I thought that movie was fantastic uh, with Hugh Jackman. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And Rocket Man was also very, very good. Not as good as Bohemian Rhapsody, but it was very good nonetheless. So I hope they do another one. Um, should they bring Tony back? I don't know. That's that's another question altogether. I don't know that I've really formed an opinion myself yet about should Tony come back? I mean, realistically, one of the things that kind of bothers me about the MCU, and you guys know I love the MCU, but one of the things that bothers me about it, and you guys know this, is the fact that it is the Marvel fake death universe. Everything's a fake death. Everybody who dies isn't really dead. They come back in about five minutes, which makes it hard. Like when Tony died in Endgame, while there were certain people around me crying, I thought it was a very good scene, but I felt no emotion because I just know he'll be back. I just came out of watching Infinity War where we had this heartstring pulling moment. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark, as Peter dies and a bunch of people crying. But, I, you know, he just he's coming back. Or when Black Panther in Infinity War dusts, there are people crying in the theater, but it's like he's going to be back. Or when they had that amazing, the maybe the most emotional moment in Infinity War, Thanos kills um, Gamora throws her off the cliff and there's this, they play that music and she dies. It's a really hard hitting emotional moment. Guess what? They brought her back next movie. Just like that. They brought her back. No biggie. She's back. But John, technically she's a Gamora from another time. It's Gamora. She's back. All right. Don't try to hide behind the semantics of it. It's Gamora. She's back. And so a lot of times in these great Marvel movies, they will have these big emotional moments, but they're bereft of any of these emotions because I just know they're coming back. Felt the same thing about Robert Downey Jr. Should he come back? I mean, ultimately, no. I don't think, I think when a character dies in a movie, it should be very, 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 very rare that you play the fake death card. Once in a while is okay, but it should be very rare that you play the fake death card. And Marvel's just overplayed it too much. But at the other hand, it would be really exciting. So I don't know. I haven't come to a real, all I feel strongly about is that he will be back. I got to admit, James, I'm not completely sure about how I feel about should he come back yet? That's a, that's a great question. All right. Next up, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, hi, John, can't wait for your movie to come out. Me too, Ben. I'm very excited about it. Thank you for that. Here's my question. I know this is a big what if. But what if before uh, he died, Chadwick and Kevin both sat down in a room and they decided what to do about the future and found someone to carry on the mantle and have Chadwick film a one minute video introducing the new actor? Do you think that's possible? And do you think people would accept that? 
Um, okay, you're right. That is an incredibly massive and unlikely what if. I, I don't believe that happened. I don't believe that happened at all. I would also feel like it would be a little bit improper. It's like, really? You want Chadwick Boseman to spend some of his precious few remaining days in the world to further Disney's business interests? There's something just icky about that that I just kind of don't like. Um, On top of that, I don't know that an actor should have a say in who plays a a role later on. I I mean, that's just my basic feeling about the relationship between actors and the roles they play. I don't believe an actor should have a say, but that's just me. The bigger problem to me though, is that kind of icky feelings. I really, Chadwick Boseman knows he only had however many days left in this world and Disney wanted him to spend one of those days furthering their business interests, doing a video. So I don't know. Would people accept Though, if Chadwick Boseman had pre-recorded one-minute video saying, hey, just for argument's sake, one of the names that a lot of people like to throw around is John David Washington. So let's, for argument's sake, just use that for an example. If Chadwick Boseman, you know, in his final days said, hey, you know, just want you to know that me and Kevin Feige talk about and we both think that the uh, that that T'Challa needs to carry on and the guy to play it is John David Washington. So please support him the way you've supported me. Of course, the audiences would accept that. Of course we would. The reality, though, is we should accept it even without it, right? T'Challa is too important of a character. And, you know, Aaron quoted uh, Andy Whitfield, who played Spartacus in season one of Spartacus and did such a great job. And then he came down, you know, he he got cancer and ultimately he died of it. But, you know, she was talking in that story and talking to other actors around it and, and you know, saying in that situation... As an actor, I'm not the story. I'm there as an actor to help tell the story. T'Challa is not Chadwick Boseman. You know, Chadwick Boseman helped, as an actor, help tell the story of T'Challa and brought him to life for so many of us in such a brilliant way, such a brilliant, fantastic way. But T'Challa remains, and that story needs to continue to be told. And... We need to get, but we, Disney and Marvel and Kevin Feige need to find an actor who will do Chadwick Boseman justice in picking up the baton for Chadwick Boseman to continue to run the race that Boseman started with this T'Challa character. I mean, Boseman started by playing him, Stan Lee. I I believe Stan Lee created T'Challa, so really it's Stan Lee's character, but um, that's the thing. So we we should all accept that as it is, period. Uh, but I don't think they did that, Ben. I, I think the likelihood of them doing that is incredibly, incredibly small. And I, I again, I would find something corporately kind of icky about that if they did. But eh, that's just me. All right. Next up, Josh Bing writes, no question here, just appreciation for all you do. Well, thank you, Josh. Uh, the start of my graduate film pro- uh, master's program at Full Sail University, I know a number of people who've done that program, uh, is on the horizon in January. I plan to order and uh, bring a John Campia show mug with me when I move from South Carolina to Florida for the program beginning at the beginning of 2021. You're a big inspiration for how I view film. Keep doing what you do. You have my respect, Giovanni. Oh, Josh, thank you so much. And that's awesome that you're pursuing your dream, dude. That is completely awesome that you're pursuing your dream and best of luck to you again i've i've known a couple of people that have gone and done the full sale 
route and they had a really good experience. I hope you have a fabulous experience and I hope my John Campion mug keeps you company on the way, Josh. So thanks a lot for that, man. And best of luck, my friend. All right. Mr. Bondi writes, hi, John. Since we got Disney Plus finally here, I was taking a look at The Mandalorian behind the scenes. That was a really nice little documentary series they did, a little documentary miniseries on the making of Mandalorian Season 1. Anyway, on The Mandalorian behind the scenes and watched the StageCraft episode. As somebody who works with real-time engines for architecture rendering, modeling, and texturing, got fascinated by that. For me, the use of RTE, real-time engines, changed my workflow. So, do you think this tech could reduce the cost and time of production for future Star Wars projects? Well, here's the thing. I had a, somebody brought up a question a while ago about the StageCraft uh, technologies. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, a lot of Mandalorian is shot in front of this spherical stage screen where the whole stage is like these, the screen that surrounds the actors, right? So when you see Mando walking along a desert canyon, they didn't actually go to a desert canyon. That's him walking on a stage with a screen, moving the images and stuff like that to track with the cameras. It's it's amazing. If you haven't seen anything about it yet so far, go and look up the stage craft technology. It's going to blow your mind. At any rate, the real-time engine stuff has been used by Disney on a couple of fronts, not only with like stagecraft, but if you go back and watch any of the making of stuff of John Favreau's Lion King, they use a lot of real-time, I believe it was the Unreal Engine they actually used for uh, a lot of the stuff they did in Lion King as well. Will it ultimately make everything cheaper? I mean, it has its uses, but it has to be, Right now, it has to be relative simple backgrounds and environments. Like the stagecraft technology right now is good for environments, but can you do complex things with it and make it look convincing to the human eye watching it on a screen? I'm not sure they're there yet. And not to mention that stagecraft thing they have, incredibly expensive, incredibly expensive. I mean, I can't even imagine how much it would cost theoretically if I wanted to rent that for a day, probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, I mean, I don't know. Listen, technology is always advancing in different forms and technology will always allow filmmakers to do things they were never able to do before, do things a little bit easier than they've been able to do before, and oftentimes eventually cheaper than they've done before. Whether this real-time engine stuff is going to be one of those catalysts, I'm not sure yet, but it's certainly allowing them to do some certain things a lot easier and a lot cheaper. Like instead of having to go out and take an entire crew out to some set somewhere on location in the desert, eh, just do it right here on set. Just do it right here on the studio lot. It opens up a lot of doors, but it's also very simple things they're doing, right? Very simple things they're doing. So we'll see how that evolves over the years, but it's absolutely something we got to keep our eyes on. All right. Manny Garcia writes, hello, John. Sorry if you've answered already, but I got an email from AMC saying that they're still pausing my A-list until March of 2021. So we know they're planning at least to stay alive until then. Well, everybody plans on staying alive. It doesn't mean they're going to still be alive. So keep that in mind. If they go under, where are all these movies that were pushed back to mid uh, to late 2021 going to show? They can't all possibly go to streaming. Sure they can. They absolutely can all go to streaming. I mean, that's the thing about streaming. You, you, You don't have to. Like, look, when you're going out on a Saturday night with friends 
and you're planning your evening. You guys are going to go out for drinks, have dinner, you know, go watch a movie, then maybe go out after. I mean, you generally will do one movie. But the thing about streaming is you can just sit on your ass at home and you don't have to plan things with other people. You're just sitting at home and you can watch five movies in a day if you want. So, yes, they absolutely could all go to streaming. I mean, ultimately, they're all going to go to streaming eventually, even in the the current model where movies go theatrical, they play theatrically. Then after the theatrical window is done about 90 days, then they all go to streaming in one form or another, whether it's PVOD or on something like Disney Plus or Netflix, whatever, right? That's the current model. So they all go to streaming anyway. It's just that they'd be going to streaming a little bit sooner. So yes, Manny, they absolutely can. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying they absolutely can all go right to streaming. All right, next up. Edgar Navarro writes, with Mortal Kombat now on hold for obvious reasons, do you believe that they're confident enough that that the movie will do good in the box office or that this might be a last shot at reviving Mortal Kombat as a movie franchise? Oh, I don't believe, I'll tell you what, Edgar, I don't believe at all that they are confident that it would do well at the box office. there's, There's no basis or reason to believe that they would be confident that it's going to do well at the box office. They're not confident about that at all. And nobody should be. And don't forget, like the original Mortal Kombat movie that came out only made like $120 million, right? Worldwide. And it's been a long time. And a lot of people say that the time to make another Mortal Kombat movie would have been like eight years ago. So, I mean, I don't know where things are right now. Is this the last shot at reviving Mortal Kombat? It depends on how it does. Like if the new Mortal Kombat movie comes out, and right now we have no idea when it will. When the new Mortal Kombat movie comes out, if it's really good and does fairly decently, then they'll do another one. If it comes out and it's sort of well-received and it kind of gets close to breaking even, well, then it might still go on. It might revive it as far as the big screen goes because it's doing quite well as a video game. But if it comes out and it's, divisive and maybe a lot of people don't like the movie and it doesn't do well, then I I don't know when they'll take another shot at making another Mortal Kombat. This Mortal Kombat movie is very, very important for the franchise on the screen. If this one doesn't do well, at least even marginally well, it could be the last shot at it. So I don't know. We'll have to kind of wait and see. All right. Next up, um, Andre Maria writes, hello, John. If the Uncharted movie and the HBO Last of Us series work out well, do you believe that Sony will invest heavily in other major PlayStation adaptations such as Ghosts of Tsushima, God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Ratchet and Clank reboot? First movie wasn't all that great, but it wasn't under Sony, so they could try again, and so forth. Uh, They are already working on some other stuff like Sly Cooper and Twisted Metal after all. Well, here's the thing. They're already taking it very seriously. Sony has already created their own movie division exclusively for like their, their video game titles. I can't remember off the top of my head the exact name of it, but we, I remember we talked about it on the John Campia show a number of months ago. Maybe I can't remember if it was before the pandemic started or not, but Sony had organized a specific division that was exclusively meant to develop these video game properties into on-screen entertainment specifically for that. So they are already taking this very, very seriously, Andre. Now let's see what happens once the smoke clears the pandemic, but I expect to see that uh, Sony division go full steam ahead. So they're already taking it very, very seriously. They're investing very heavily into it and they've got big plans. 
Now, if a Last of Us series flops and the Uncharted movie flops, maybe they change their plans. But uh, for now, they have big, big plans. All right, next up, uh, James Germain writes, Hey, John, heard you were playing Hades. Uh, just picked it up for my Mac. Wondering your thoughts on it so far. Pitter patter. You know, Hades is, of course, one of the six games that just got nominated for Game of the Year at the uh, Video Game Awards. Um, it was Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, Animal Crossing, Last of Us Part Two. And I got to admit, I can't remember what the other two won. There were two others that got nominated, but Hades was one of them. And I went and checked out uh, Hades and I do plan on playing it, but I haven't started playing yet, but I will let you know as soon as I do. All right. Chris Muller writes, Hey, John, have you ever played dead by daylight? I have not. Uh, I'm quite late to the party on it, but it's really a really fun multiplayer game that I highly recommend trying. And I don't often play multiplayer games. Each round pits four survivors trying to escape against one killer, trying to stop them. A round only takes uh, about 10 minutes and you can play as either a survivor or a killer. It sounds interesting. Here's my one thing about that, though. And I never have played Dead by Daylight, so maybe I'll have to go check it out. I generally don't like multiplayer games. Like, even me, in all the years that I played World of Warcraft, and it's a lot of years that I've played World of Warcraft, I don't multiplayer. Like, I don't join parties. I don't join guilds. I don't raid with other people that I know. I don't. I just like playing the single player adventure aspect of World of Warcraft. That's just how I like playing it. And even when I like play like Unreal Tournament or something like that, I just kind of like playing against, I'll just set the bots to their highest level. And I just kind of like playing against bots. I, for whatever reason, I don't really like multiplayer games all that much. Online poker is a little different. That I do enjoy. I like playing poker against other people. Uh, and Fall Guys. Obviously, I kind of like Fall Guys. I do, but, but generally speaking, a lot of these other games I don't. But it does sound interesting, Chris, so I will. I might have to try that out. Thanks for the recommendation, man. Okay, next up. Mark Crowder writes, I don't want to spoil anything, but do you think the new Star Wars holiday special confirms that Finn is Force-sensitive? I don't... By the way, the new Star Wars holiday special, the Lego holiday special, awful. It's awful. It's got a couple of, of uh, pretty funny moments. It does. I'll give it its due. It does have a couple of pretty fu funny moments, but it's it's borderline unwatchable. It's terrible. Anyway, um, the, the Lego holiday special is not canon. There are just too many things that happen in it that clearly make it not canon. Listen, I've always assumed that um, at least as early as, you know, the the last Skywalker, I've, oh, I've believed that they've clearly indicated that Finn has some degree of force sensitivity. And I think they reaffirmed that several times throughout the last couple of movies. So I don't need the Lego special to quote unquote confirm that. But no, the Lego special doesn't confirm anything because the Lego special is not canon. And thank God, because it's it's dreadful. It's absolutely dreadful. And I like all the Lego stuff, but this was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Anyway. All right. Last question of the day, guys. This comes to us from Kevin Esparago, who writes, don't you hate it when the villain finds out who the hero really is, whether it's their secret identity or some other personal information, and then you automatically know the main villain will either die or get locked up somewhere where they can't tell nobody. It's such a common trope these days. Redemption for a bad guy when done well is great. Darth Vader, Prince Zuko, etc. Many times it's not earned though. Oh yeah, no, I listen. 
when the villain finds out who the hero is, you then there's look when a villain, depending on the property, when the big bad guy finds out the true identity of the hero, the writers of that movie or show or series or franchise have now backed themselves into a corner because now there's only a few ways this can go, right? Once the villain finds out who the bad guy is, there's only a few options now available. The bad guy dies. The bad guy has his mouth removed or some, it's some way like you like thrown into a pit so deep. They can never tell who the person is or the hero's cover gets, I mean, there's just not many options left. Now, every once in a while, I've seen it done pretty well and in a pretty, pretty entertaining and maybe even a little bit surprising way. But overall, they do kind of back themselves into a bit of a corner when they do that. So, yeah, I mean, it used to be when the villain finds out who the hero is, it creates a oh shit moment. But now, not really. Now, for me, it's kind of like, oh, uh, now what do they do? As far as the writers of the show, what do you do now? So. I don't know. I'll always give them the benefit of the doubt to see if they can come up with something creative, but usually it doesn't work out so creative. So anyway, yeah. All right, guys, listen, that'll do it for this installment of Open Mic. Again, a special thank you to our Patreon supporters, number one, for being Patreon supporters, and number two, for sending in these great fun questions because you gave us great fun things to talk about. And listen, guys, if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter to help support the John Campia programming that we do, head on over to patreon.com slash John Campia and uh, get all the information there. And maybe you'll want to be a Patreon supporter yourself. Don't need to be. I'm just glad you're here listening to or watching our content. So thank you for being here. All right, guys. That'll do it for me for this installment of Open Mic. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.